Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, thanks to all of you that have been uh, checking in. This is a very busy week. This is a very busy month. And if you have not subscribed to the Cover 3 Podcast on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover3. Subscribe there. Smash that bell and you will get a notification anytime we go live. The next time we will be live, 11 a.m. on Thursday to get you set with those week 12 locks. Also, in this episode, we are going to be tackling the mailbag, opening up the big old bag of mail. And if you want to add a question to uh, that mailbag and get it on a future Wednesday episode, the best way to do that is leave us a five-star review uh, and put that mailbag question within the review. Uh, so we'll be talking a little bit about the coaching candidates, uh, ACC perception nationally, comparing uh, what Georgia and where we think Georgia might be going. But I thought it would be good with two regular season uh, weeks left to play to open up with a little bit of a spotlight on some of our preseason win totals locks. So uh, we're going to start with some Latifa that is on the line. And Latifa on the line, they got some bad, oh, excuse me, some good news for us and some bad news for the team. Because Tom, Chip, Bud are all on the under seven and a half for Auburn. Auburn currently sitting at six and four, but we find out that it will be TJ Finley, not Bo Nix the rest of the way. Bo Nix has gone down with a season ending injury, but I think it was on the air, but if not, I mean, honestly, it's all blending together, like how much we're talking about football right now. But I remember that you said you did not make much or any adjustment in terms of your power rating for Auburn with the change at quarterback with Finley coming in for Nick's. And so, you know, as you are also invested in, in this win total, uh, I want to let you start here. How are you feeling about our chances to bring home uh, Auburn under seven and a half? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling really, really good. Uh, not because of the Knicks injury. I, I really just felt great about it uh, once Mississippi State beat them. I mean, that was sort of the, one of the swing games. I, in order for this under to hit, I either needed COVID to happen, because remember, Auburn was one of the teams that was struggling to get to that threshold in the preseason. Uh, or I needed them to drop one of the games against Mississippi schools, and and they did. Uh, they, Mississippi State beat them. So uh, they have Bama left, and they have the game at South Carolina. I mean, I what 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 do you think a parlay is of them going two and zero in that game? <laughs> like, what is the like payout for? What what, what like what what are the odds that that, that they actually went out twenty five to one? No, no, excuse me, it's, it's not that. Never mind. Um, I mean, and the one they're only a touchdown favorite this weekend, right? Yeah. So, 
It's actually probably less than ten to one. I I, I had the math backwards in my I'd head. I have it about six to one ish. So yeah, that's that's kind of about how I feel. What about Tom? Yeah, no, I feel pretty comfortable. You think they finish seven and five, beat South Carolina, lose to Alabama, and then we catch this thing by about a half a win? Because yeah. it was a time like, look, we before the Mississippi State comeback, and with Alabama coming off the struggle against LSU, the interest in that Iron Bowl, which is going to be in Jordan Hare Stadium, a place that Alabama has had struggles, we thought, hey, maybe that's going to be it. And then for me, I if. If Auburn's going to pull off an unbelievable Iron Bowl type upset, it's got to be with Bo Nix, right? I mean, that's just the storybook. I mean, he's, he's going to be the one who's going to figure it out. You lose Bo Nix, I feel like that one is a that's a loss, and that gets us home. I, I probably think Auburn beats South Carolina, but for me, the Nix injury changes how I feel about the Iron Bowl and the chances of the Tigers being able to win that game. It would be kind of Auburn for them to lose at South Carolina and then beat Bama <laughs> in Jordan Hare. Very yes. That that's the most Auburn outcome possible. Yes, I tell you what. If if TJ Finley, like I'm kind of with Bud here. Like we know Bo Nix has been this roller coaster ride. Without having seen much of TJ Finley, I think he does have more raw potential. Bigger arm. You know, does he have a grasp of the system? If he looks good against South Carolina and they go in there and they win by, you know, 20, say, let's say their offense starts getting going, I think it'll make the Iron Bowl that much more interesting. But I need to see that South Carolina game to really give a good feel about TJ Finley. I mean, I did play a lot against Georgia. Was it Georgia State that they almost lost to? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so he, he played okay in that game. Like, I think he's definitely serviceable. I mean, he's a guy who's played a, a lot of football. Pass. Yeah, remember the complete pass. <laughs> yes. So, like, I don't know. I think this game could be interesting in, in kind of getting his kind of legs underneath him. It could be huge confidence booster for him, or it could curb that line even more, where Alabama could be a you know a significant favorite if TJ Finley struggles in this offense and they don't look good against South Carolina. Then I think we'll have our answer. I mean, he also beat South Carolina last year playing yeah. for LSU. I, I will say too, like they're going to be on the road. It's his first start this year at Auburn and South Carolina while it's a team with a lot of faults past defense it's actually been pretty decent so that could be an interesting matchup um this next one is probably more of a more of a, a push watch here like Bud's pretty much got Arizona State um at least he's not going to to lose this Arizona State is not going to be winning 10 games in the regular season the Sun Devils are seven and three but I, I got to tell you, I thought the under nine was looking way better when it sounded like Herm was kind of throwing his players under the bus. It looked like all of the instability that we talked about going into the season might be uh, coming up to the top after two straight losses, both to Utah and Washington State. However, you know, 15-point win uh, at home against USC. You go up against that Washington team and Washington, you know, in a little bit of turmoil as well. But after back-to-back wins against USC and Washington – Arizona State now could push its win total at nine. However, you got to go to Corvallis to play Oregon State, and then I'm I'm going to give them a win against Arizona in the Territorial Cup at wow. the end of the season. I know that's it's a bold pick, but uh, do you think Arizona State ends up getting to push uh, here at nine? I I think they're going to go under. I I, I think they'll lose week? one of the last two. Yeah, and I, I think that that we will see a coaching change there. By the way. I think they could, like, I'm not dismissing that Arizona game at all. 
Like this is like I, I wrote about it this week in the bottom twenty-five. Like Arizona is a bad team. They are one and nine. But the one thing that stands out when you watch them that like this late in the season, when they're down to like I think their ninth string quarterback at this point, and there's really nothing to play for, they're playing hard, man. Like they're trying and you see a lot of teams this time of year, once the season's, you know, everything's gotten away from them. They kind of let their foot off the gas and just want to get the year done. This is a team that's playing hard. So I have a feeling that come that rivalry game, like that's going to be a more interesting game than I think. Like I'll probably end up taking Arizona against the spread, whatever it is. Mm. What do you think about Danny? You got, uh, have you got a feel for Arizona state right now? I would I would lean towards you guys saying Arizona State will blow them away, but I could not have been more wrong about Arizona against Utah last week. So Tom brings up a pretty good point. It, it depends on that number too. Rivalry game, the fact they gave up was seventy last year. Mm. Someone almost gets fired. At, like those players will remember that, so they'll have mm-hmm. some fight in them too. So I think it would be one of those t- throw out the records type of bets. Like you're going to get a best effort, and they are they are out there clawing away. Yeah, see, that's like uh, comparing like this Arizona team and the way like it looked against Utah, the way it looked against USC in these games compared to how Arizona looked at the end of last season when it was, you know, everybody knew it was a sinking ship. Like there's clearly belief in this staff on those sidelines in this in that locker room. So, I, I, I yeah, again, I'm taking them against the spread. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm taking them. I, don't- I just slipped in a... Uh- Herm Edwards is gone, right? Isn't that what you just slipped slipped in there? I, I think that's very much in play. Like you want to you want to back that up, or is that like is that uh is that based on like the midseason hiccups, the NCAA investigation, general like tea leaves, anything you're hearing? Like how's the so I how do you look at, there? I took a look at their recruiting, right? And it's not going great, uh, understandably, because you know you've had some changes in methodology there, right? Uh, Washington is also opening. If you think about it, Washington is probably the same level of job as Arizona State or on a similar tier, I would I would think, right? I mean, I, I don't Listen, know. careful. I got yelled at for trying to dog Arizona State's academics, and they were in the chat just roasting me about how Arizona <laughs> State's on the up on these academics. Thankfully, we're not live right now because I said that Washington and Arizona State were the same tier football side. Washington just had better academics and shout out like the, the few Arizona state natives that I know are all very, very smart. So I, I guess I should uh, pack that take back away in, in the backpack of, of basics. Did Robbie go Arizona state? Robbie. Callen? No, yeah. he went to Georgia, Georgia, Georgia state. state. Oh shoot. Okay. The Harvard of Atlanta. Yes. I don't, right. But if, if her five commits, <laughs> But isn't this one where the record would mask that for another year? Like they're seven and three. Even if they split and they're eight and four, that's improvement. And if they go nine and three, it'd be really hard to justify. So I think it might come down to these last couple games. I think that's true depending on how they close on signing day. I, I just I, I started taking a look at some of these recruiting classes to look for like leading indicators for some of these jobs that may or may not open. And that one popped me. I was like, oh, because like Fuente's recruiting class this year. Actually, it wasn't that bad. It was just the prior five years where they didn't really, you know, do their jobs. This Arizona State class is bad. I mean, they're ninety second. They have five kids committed. One of them is a kicker. Yeah, but is Ray Anderson going to fire Herm? Just well, his recruiting class is bad. That's the question. I mean, does if an eight and four, nine and three, two? That's why. Yeah. Does Ray Anderson get to stay, or do you clean the whole house? I don't, I don't know. know. I, 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 this, I'm not, I'm not marking this one as safe on my bingo card, guys. Can I grab the wheel real quick for something off the table? Please. Um, Blake James, the athletic director at Miami, gets fired. Does that mean, 
Like what, what does that mean for your expectations for Manny Diaz and his future? Um, well, our David Lake of Inside the U reported that uh, Blake and Manny, or excuse me, Blake and Mario at Oregon really don't get along at all. So the Miami folks are taking this as, as a signal that, uh, hey, Miami wants to make a, a run at Mario, and you know, getting Blake out of there was one of the first dominoes that has to fall. Interesting. But that's some. You're really trying to thread a needle with the timing. Yeah. Like, well, what if they make the playoff? That's, but yeah. Also, Cristobal's buyout drops after this year. Everybody's like, hey, how are you going to get Cristobal in this year? What if they let Manny coach one more year? That's Cristobal's buyout drops. You get a new idea, and he's had a chance to survey the landscape. He's had a chance to fundraise. Then they go make a more, more serious run at Mario next year. Yeah, see, that was my initial reaction was, well, if they're firing the AD now, Manny's probably going to get another year because now they've got to find a new athletic director and whoever it is, I don't know if they're going to want to come in in like December and then fire the coach right away and then start a coaching search when signing day is already happening and all that stuff. Usually you see a new athletic director come in and be like, well, I want to give them a year just to you know get to know them before I make a decision when they've, so a lot of times they've already got their minds made up what that decision will be, but... Yeah, I think Manny's going to get another year at least. I will say, if you're a Miami fan and you're not looking at Inside the U, those guys have been all over this stuff for weeks, and like they're dropping legitimate insider notes. They're they're pretty well connected over there. It's well worth your price subscription. I would wow. also say, if you're a Miami fan, maybe give up on the Cristobal dream because I understand he's Before a Miami they make a guy. I, uh, no, I'm just saying I understand he's a Miami guy, but don't get your hopes up because there is a huge difference between Oregon and Miami right now. I know Miami has the past and all that stuff, but I think right now and in the future, Oregon much better positioned. I don't disagree. I will say the only reason I'm entertaining this is that people who are really smart people who are not diehard Miami fans have told me privately, like they really think it could happen. And I was like, are you serious? Like what? Then it's going to be nothing but love for his alma mater, because if you think that was about it right now, that, yeah, that they had. with Mario's recruiting and what he's trying to do at Oregon, He's got unlimited resources at Oregon. Anything he wants, he'll be able to get as long as he's winning games. At Miami, we've seen it. It's not, you know, there's not an unlimited supply of money for Miami at that school. And it's just, it's why they've kind of fallen behind, I think, in recent years. This is one of those aspects, too, where I think we speculate. And unless you know somebody, like, hey, maybe he wants to come back home. You know, maybe he's got family that he wants to play in front His of. His brother's a police officer down, down there. But aside from that, I think, Tom, like, if you separate all that, I think it's a pipe dream for Miami. But we've seen the ties that people have. He won a national championship there. Like, maybe he wants to bring that back to the U. Maybe it. Maybe he would play for less. Maybe he would take on that risk just to bring that program back. So, I don't know. Without knowing him personally and being on the inside and knowing what he values, I don't know. I just, I think, I think I would temper your expectations like Tom. So I looked at it probably more from the analysis than the insider opinion, where I thought that Miami entering the coaching search without an athletic director is a horrible leverage position. You're just, you are not going to be attractive when you already have shown uh, that you are behind the curve in the arms race of investment, when you are behind uh, what the top programs are able to do and you're going to say, all right, well, we're going to hire you, and then we're going to bring in someone else who didn't get the chance to hire you. Like I, I think that that would be a bad decision for Miami to fire Manny Diaz without an athletic director hired uh, and enter into this coaching search, unless 
as is being hinted at here, it is a fully like homegrown family type hire because in the, in, if you throw all emotion, which is impossible, but if you throw that to the side, I think it's a bad leverage position where you're, you're going to have to either way over, way, way, way overpay, or you're just going to miss out and have to settle for somebody and watch your top candidates say no and or go elsewhere. First time exists. I think half the battle in college football is finding a quarterback. I think they've got one in Tyler Van Dyke. He looks like he's thriving in Rhett Lashley's system. Like the defense is supposed to be Manny's thing. So if you trust him, like, hey, let's figure that side of the ball out. Let's give him one more year. They've been competitive in almost every game. Yes, they've almost lost some or almost lost some games. They should have been more comfortably in hand. But like, I don't I, I know the record is is bottom line business. That's what we look at. Like, I don't think it's that bad where you just say, yeah, we got to make the fire now. You know, like I think Florida State's been a completely different team than when they started 0-4. You know, I, I just think like, do you really want to start over and in, in without a Mario Cristobal or without a guarantee of a name that's going to be an automatic upgrade? I think they'll just become what they've been the last 15 years, which is a, a coaching turnover machine. Uh, one last win total check-in. Uh, the Boston College Eagles are currently 6-4 and four on the season. The remaining two games are at home against Florida State and at home against Wake Forest. Now, the number here is 7.5. I will say that, you know, feeling, feeling okay that Boston College ain't going to run off both of these, but this is a Boston College team that now with Phil Dracovic back in the lineup is – as good as it has been since the beginning of the season, uh, back-to-back wins against Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech to get this thing going in the right direction. Again, probably not getting to eight, but I at least wanted to see where the uh, the temperature was of the Eagles, especially with Florida State coming up on the uh, on the schedule in Chestnut Hill this weekend. I, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, they they'll be favored against FSU slightly, or they are right now. Uh, will they be a favorite over Wake? I don't. Think so, think but not so, by no. much. Or like maybe what three point dog? Like a field goal ish. Yeah. Um, it's hard to bet against Dracovic, man. That guy's a good player, and with him back, they looked really good last week. He went for three hundred eight on nineteen throws, so that's pretty efficient. You <laughs> yeah. know, if, if you're into like, you know, that that kind of yards per attempt. But still, like having, having to hit both those, that that is tough. I, I think the under is is. It's a lucky win if I get there because clearly, like if if Djokovic could stay, they're not going to lose all those games they did. I don't think, but uh, him getting hurt really really swung this thing. And it's a lesson if you're betting on a team that is super reliant on one really really good player, you kind of got to like to steal a phrase from Rufus here, like model that dynamic uncertainty of quarterback injury to you know like say hey like is this really that much of a lock if the QB goes down, am I screwed? Yeah, I'd say it's about four to one that they went out. I tell you what, if you're a BC fan, I think you kind of want to hope they split so you still go bowling. But if they went out, I'm telling Jeff Halfley is oh. a name oh. that I would be calling. I mean, I, I he's a, he's done a fantastic job there. Like, I think you kind of want to fly under the radar, and I don't know if he's under the radar because of what he's done, but I don't know if he's going to be there for the long term. So you're kind of like, well, man, it'd be nice to get one more year. <laughs> if uh, I love that if Penn take. State loses Franklin. That's who I'm calling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, I talked, a guy on Twitter asked me about it yesterday. He's like, he, he said, do you think Halfley's a good candidate for Washington? 
And I said, I think Halfley's a good candidate for every single opening out there. <laughs> yeah. Like the players love him. Uh, he he and his staff do a really good job, like finding talent early. And of course, they don't always sign it. I mean, they, they've had guys committed who it's like, oh, by the way, Georgia now likes you, and the kids from Georgia. So, but that that's a good that's a good leading indicator to me. I, I want to see that you're finding these guys early, and uh, and taking risks on them and, and throwing out those offers, and not waiting for everybody else to offer. Plus value coach, in my opinion, on the organizational front, plus value coach on the relationship front. And when we think about the future of football, he comes from that defensive back pass defense mindset. I guess that is a lot of uh, a lot of things going in your favor. Danny, the I'll only thing. Let's, oh, let's, sorry, be, let, let's be good, but like, don't be too good. Like, <laughs> maybe get one of these wins, but let's not get to eight and four. Let's not sneak into the AP top 25. Let's just keep this nice under the radar. You don't Can want I tell him, you guys? He's only seven and five. You don't want him. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's what you want yeah, to do. You can't say that. Did I tell you? <laughs> right? Did I tell you? I, I met him. I talked to him at the Fiesta Bowl before the Clemson-Ohio State game. It was like at media days and just you know, kind of lingering around and this is before he was, you know, he was kind of mentioned for some head coaching jobs. And I remember talking to him and it was only five minutes and he might have been pulling a Shane Beamer and just like, hey, I know like, this guy's on the radio might say nice things about me. But he really was impressive. And just a five minute conversation, you could the energy was positive, you know, high energy. The vision was there. In fact, he might. I don't know if was, he, was the Boston. College, I don't know if he had taken it yet. I think I he had think taken so. it, but he had okay. So that was, maybe that was what was maybe the ACC guy. Maybe he was just playing me. I mean, he was sucking up to me, but it was impressive. I do remember talking to him, and I think he would blow it away in interviews too. Coming up on the other side, we take a dive into the big old bag of mail, including. With all the success that Georgia's had both this season and over the last couple of years under Kirby Smart, what does the future look like? We'll get into that and more next. Guys, if you're looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all of that hectic holiday shopping traffic, well, why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long, not just the holidays. I mean, it makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. We'll be taking our Christmas cards soon. Got to be getting the postage for it. Stamps.com will be right there for my family, yours, and also your business. So whether you're selling online or running an office or a side hustle, Stamps.com can help you save so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. You can access all the post office and UPS shipping services that you need without taking that trip and get discounts that you're not going to find anywhere else, like 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Going to the post office instead of stamps.com is kind of like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. You're just going up a couple of floors. Sure, take the stairs. But if you're walking 30 flights a day, you could use the brakes to take that elevator that is stamps.com. Save time and money this holiday season with stamps.com. And if you sign up with the promo code COVER3, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and 
a digital scale. No long-term commitments, no long-term contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code COVER3. Again, go to stamps.com, look for the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the promo code COVER3 for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. Stamps.com, promo code COVER3. So, Chip, uh, related to that ad read, literally today I dropped my son off at, at, at preschool and went to go mail my dad his birthday card, and I realized I didn't have my mask, so I had to go back to my house to get a mask so I could go back to the post office to get a stamp to mail the card. And if I just had stamps, I mean, just, yeah. Stamps that ad read hit code screen. cover three. Like, you, you don't have to worry about grabbing your mask to go to the post office because you're getting it all done at home. A good, great example of yeah. ways that this stamps.com can come out and, uh, and help you. Do we, do we want another fun mask story that has nothing to do with stamps? Yes, yeah, sure. I had a dentist appointment a few weeks ago. There's no parking <laughs> near the joint. You know, like it's it's in the middle of Chicago. It's in Lincoln Park. There's no parking. So I have to I finally find a parking spot probably about two and a half, three blocks away. So I park the car, I get there, I walk to the dentist's office. And as I get to the door and there's a sign on there that says, you know, you must wear your mask. I realize I forgot my mask in the car. So then I've got to walk all the way back to the car get the mask, come all the way back, put the mask on, go in, sit down in a chair and take off the mask so they can work in my mouth. Yeah. And get in your mouth. Like that's one of those ones where it's like, really? (laughs) Danny, I know you had your first dentist visit in a while recently. Are we we regular now? Are you going every six months, every 12 months? Are we we on the schedule? No, I'll I'll be back when I get pain. That's kind of where I go. Like, if I get a toothache, I'll go back. Hopefully, it's not for another five years. Daddy's not about that preventative maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) I brush three times a day, floss. I do all the right things. She's actually very complimentary. She said, because I was like, man, I was warning her. I'm like, this is going to be ugly. You know, this might could get really bad for you. Hopefully, I don't have like a dozen cavities. And she was very complimentary. She said, oh, you can hardly tell. She said, great. I only had one little cavity. She said, optional to come back. I was like, that's all I needed to hear. Optional, out. I'm out. <laughs> I, I missed this. Did, did your wife make you go to the dentist? Or you No, pain? she didn't. I actually did it out of like concern. Five, you know, It's been five years. I was like, let me just go get things checked up. My neighbor, they have two little boys. They're like 12 and 10. And they were like, hey, it's not that scary. You can go try. And so they had somebody that they really recommended. So I went and, and gave it a shot. So at least yeah. now I have somebody that they I have. kind of like. So that's the good right. news. Danny Mario. got shamed they by preteens. truly made great strides. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I had a good uh, kind of one up on my wife. So she says, you need to go get your eyes checked. Like, when's the last time you had your eyes checked? I was like, I don't know, six or seven years, probably. Um, 2020, 2015. Wow. Boom. I was like, babe, I told you I'm good. I didn't need to waste my time going over here this morning. I didn't actually tell her that. You know, just like, I, you know, I, I don't know what happened. That's crazy. <laughs> so. Impressive. It's, these these eyes that have had glasses since kindergarten could never. <laughs> uh, all right, let's dive into the big old bag of mail. Uh, this first question from the Hack Hall 48. Hey guys, longtime follower, RIP Barton. Uh, obviously, with this being a Georgia Bulldogs podcast, y'all might be biased. However, I was curious about y'all's take on this. I'm an Arkansas fan and have been living through now what feels like generations of Alabama dominance. Despite not believing the Bama dynasty is over, I can't help but wonder if Georgia is finally becoming the next great dynasty. 
I had hoped if and when Saban slowed down or retired, the SEC would become anyone's race. But again, Georgia looks so good this year despite not having utterly dominant offensive play, especially at quarterback. I can't help but notice they look similar to early Saban-era Alabama right now. Do y'all expect Georgia to maintain this for multiple seasons slash decade or so? Or do you think this is a magical season that will be remembered fondly when they're searching for a coach in a few seasons? Auburn, LSU, uh, et cetera. Five stars, guys. Great stuff. Well, so I would say that Georgia has already been maintaining roughly this level of play for a while. Uh, They've just avoided the slip up so far this year. This year, it's also uh, convenient for them that while they don't have great quarterback play, nobody else does either. So it's very much like a 2008, 2006 type type year where you know, Alabama would win and it's like, okay, they, they stomped out you know, somebody in the national championship who really wasn't very good. Um, that's assuming that they actually do finish this thing out. If in this era, though, of higher point scoring, if Georgia wants to do what Alabama did, it is going to have to get quarterback right much more often than it has previously overall talent recruiting wise it is absolutely nuts right now so fsu is likely to pick up four-star defensive lineman who some services have as a top 100 player in the country tyree west because georgia needs the room in their class like that's the level of picky that georgia's being right now and mike norvell's like absolutely baby we are not picky about top 100 defensive linemen like that is that's what we need down here uh but if georgia gets quarterback right consistently they can go on a run similar way Alabama went on it's just that's much harder to do than it is to say did Georgia get quarterback wrong with Aaron Murray he was I think he was a good college quarterback I don't think he had like exceptional NFL type tools right I mean he wasn't like a super high draft like physically did he blow you away no I mean complimentary guy very accurate but I mean, he's the SEC patching touchdowns leader, you know, SEC career passing touchdowns leader. You know, we had the the clip. Uh, I think we had hit the eight year anniversary of the prayer. Jordan Hare was on, and you just go to like Aaron Murray's face, just so disappointed on the sideline. And that 2013 season, well, he was, slammed the helmet. He was That, was, that 2013 season was one year after they'd come four yards short of beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. I mean, I just thought this week, I was like, man, Aaron Murray is Georgia football. Like, so good. All of the accolades, like, right there. Just doesn't have that national championship. If he's the best quarterback you've had, though, in a run, that's not a national dynasty type run. If he's one of your better guys, I can buy that. I mean, I think... As far as like the question of if this is what to expect, I, th- I mean, I don't know. If you're trying to frame it as will they be the next Alabama, no, I don't think there's going to be another Alabama because once the playoff expands, it's just going to become a lot more difficult to win national titles. And Al- a lot of Alabama's national titles were in the BCS era when it was just you know one game. But I think it can be in the sense that it's going to be a playoff team nearly year in and year out once it expands yes especially at 12 like you're mm-hmm. just going to expect yeah. to see georgia every year i mean you're probably going to expect to see game every year yeah barring barring a salary cap or some sort of cap on the number of four and five stars you can have 
they're going to be at the top as long as Kirby Smart's there and probably as long as anybody's there. They're going to they have the resources to supply what they need to supply to get those recruits in there. I think it is cr- like if you went back and looked at my Twitter timeline and my criticism of Alabama in 2009, 2010, 2011, it's very similar to what it is now of Georgia. And then like the hatred I get in return is very similar to what it was at Alabama. And once they found, you know, Lane Kiffin, and once they found a Tua Tonga-Valoa and a Mac Jones, I got out of the way of that freight train and said, this is the best team in the country, hands down. Don't even try to fade them. Last year, Alabama, like, that's a scary thought if they do hit on a quarterback or they do get a couple of them in a row. And I think you say the same thing about Clemson, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Like, that's how all of a sudden you get on a run. Maybe, maybe Kirby Smart has built the formula because I think – Nick Saban is one of the few that has won with just a guy at quarterback, right? There haven't been many, especially in the last 20 years. Maybe Kirby Smart can join that club, and it clearly he's built Alabama East. I just still think that could be problematic uh, for Georgia at some point, even this season, when they do face a team that can put up some points on you. Like I still think there are limitations. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe... There isn't another quarterback out there that's proven himself that can, you know, put up points on this defense and they can win with that defense and a game manager. And Stetson Bennett is he's just a guy plus, right? He's a he's he's he is. I mean, maybe he's good enough. He's got the moxie, he can run around, he makes Stetson pretty good throws. Football. Yeah. Maybe it maybe it's enough, but I kind of I look at it and that's my hesitation to just really going all in with the this team is unbeatable and they're in a stratosphere all their own. Their schedule has been lighter, and it, they haven't had to see that that element. And like, I do think it's a scary thought for you know for everybody else, including Alabama, if they get quarterback and offense in general figured out. Because I ke- I keep going back to man the the narrative when Todd Munkin was hired and the pairing of J T Daniels and what we saw the last four or five games of last season was, whoo, they have arrived. This is a twenty twenty one. This is the, they're going to start throwing it for 350 yards a game. They're going to open things up. And JT Daniels is a Heisman Trophy candidate. We still haven't seen that. They've gone kind of back to let's run the football, play action pass, kind of play that ball control. We'll rely on this defense. And that's worked great. And maybe it does. I just think it's a valid criticism of this team that we don't know for sure what they can do against a team that can put up some points against their defense. I also wonder too, like when the playoff expands, how will that impact certain coaches that you would think would be safe? Because, like, let's use Georgia for the example. Like, Georgia is a team that in the Kirby Smart era has recruited really well. It's gotten to the playoff once. It came within an overtime of winning a national title. It's been really close. But in a, once the playoff expands to, like, 12 teams, if Georgia's going to the playoff every year, Kirby Smart's continuing to recruit, they're getting there, but they're not winning the national title, how long until he gets fired because he's not winning the national title? Because it's going to be because like that's what's going to happen to like a lot of these fan bases. It's going to be like it's no, but it's going to be like we've been to the playoff five years in a row. We haven't won yet. We got to get a coach that knows how to win. That's what's going to happen. Mark Richt had 14 years. And Kirby got there. He wasn't in the playoff every year. But he was in. It was a different era. Yeah, exactly. There were only two teams that were going to win national titles in the playoff era. When there's going to be twelve fan bases, are going to become a lot. This is my prediction. I think fan bases are going to become a lot less forgiving of coaches who are good enough to get you to the playoff. But damn it, we haven't won yet, so we need we need to get a winner in here. I think it'll. You don't think it's the other way? No, I think it's just going to lead to more turnover. 
I think it'll take a while because some fans will still be able to just stick on like how many, what was your record? That'll, that'll still be like the, the simple, like, Oh, nine and three, 10 and two, 11 and one. Like I, I think that if you turn in double digit win seasons, make the playoffs, then whatever happens in the playoffs, I think it'll take some time. It'll take a lot of playoff failures for that to be your reputation to a point where you lose your job. Practically, like what is the real difference between, you know, missing the current 14 playoff and, you know, limping into the the new 12 team playoff and then getting bounced, right? Like you'd probably get fired if you missed the playoff enough times in the current format at Georgia. I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, any of these super elite programs might get tired of somebody having, if this happened, you know, having embarrassing playoff performances. It's very similar to just actually missing the playoff, you know? Okay, well, maybe maybe George is the wrong example then. But I do think that for other programs who will suddenly become playoff contenders who aren't realistic playoff contenders now, I, I think that the expanded playoff is just, in general, going to lead to much more coaching turnover. That's a... I, I like that because everyone says that in general now, coaches don't get the time that they got. You know, like Dabo mm-hmm. has said that if he was coming up and having those kind of seasons in 2010 uh, that... You know, now if he had that same season in 2020, he probably gets fired. Doesn't even get the opportunity to have that slow ramp up that 2010, 2011, all the way to 2015 era where things really start to build and take off. So I can I can understand how the playoff would add another bit. It's not necessarily Georgia, but it's teams that want to take the next step. Their coaches might get clipped as they continue to bump their heads on the ceiling of trying to get over the hump. This is like way too long of a discussion for today's show, but like sometime in the offseason, we need we need to start talking to some ADs about like how do you evaluate coaches beyond you know just win loss record? You know? Like if, if you're if you're Michigan, you didn't fire Harbaugh last year because you saw the underlying metrics said they were actually fairly good but unlucky. Nebraska kind of the same thing this year, right? Do you think I mean, they I don't think they look at underlying metrics. I think we do when we judge them. I think it's more They're making 20 million dollar decisions and, and like the the salaries are only going up. They, they need I wonder who is I would hope they stuff. are. Well, yeah. I mean, I just I think it's an, it, it, you're a leader of a business. It's an interpersonal organizational situation where you're doing interviews and you're having conversations and you as a leader have to make that decision. I mean, sure, like all metrics and all numbers and all key performance indicators, aha, KPIs, um, will let you know what the type of decision that you want is. But I think that it is much more about the what you are able to gather from conversations and information gathering within the program. You know what I would like Sir. to see? More teams do what happened at Michigan and what happened at Nebraska. Now, we talked about Miami. Maybe Manny Diaz is a candidate that might hard without an athletic director. Who's going to go to him, though, and say, hey, you know what? Thinking about making a change, let's rework this deal and make it a little bit more friendly for us. Let's maybe more incentive based. Let's lower that buyout if you want to be here for the longer time, or we'll go ahead and make a move. Like, I think more athletic directors should start to wield their leverage when they have it as opposed to the only one sided way it's worked for the past 20 years. 100% agreement. But there's one thing we got to keep in mind, though, with the two places that have done it, both of those coaches are alumni. Both of those, you know, like Harbaugh played for Michigan, Frost yeah. played for Nebraska. But I man, don't. He's a Miami guy, you know. He grew oh yeah, up I know. Here. I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah. more AD should definitely try it, and I think honestly, more coaches should be. If you really give a damn about the job that you have, you should be more open to maybe considering it. But I think a lot of coaches will be like, I'll just go work somewhere else. <laughs> That's fine. I'm not taking a pay cut. I can go get somewhere somewhere else. Um. So we had a ton of NC State questions this week. Um, they came in through DMs to Tom. 
They came in the actual uh, mail bag. They are being peppered from all over the place. So uh, I'm gonna. This one sort of encapsulates uh, a lot of the NC State conversation, uh, and I want to make sure we get this in here so that all of you can can be able to uh, to hear it. All the people who ask questions, guys, I absolutely love the show and listen every week. I started listening at the start of COVID lockdown as an escape from all the bad news. I love the mix of personalities. Uh, unbiased analysis, except Danny, LOL, laughs, and all the occasional passionate argument. Keep up the good work. So about NC State, there's been a feeling among some of the fan base that we've missed our breakthrough window. This was supposed to be Dave Doran's best roster. It probably has less top-end talent than the 2017 team with its 11 draft picks, including Bradley Chubb, Naheem Hines, et cetera, but better quality depth. After several close calls under Doran, we finally got over the hump against an admittedly subpar Clemson. But hey, we finally slayed the Tigers. We lost in Starkville against a solid Bulldog team, but that was our first true road test in front of a real crowd in two years and a non-conference game at that. Then we stubbed our toe against a mediocre Miami team. Then last Saturday night, despite having our Atlantic Division destiny in our control, we lost to Wake Forest. Yes, this is a very good Wake team, and we've lost several key starters to injury, but the season now seems like a missed opportunity. Our last ACC football championship was in 1979. Per Joe Giglio, we remain one of only four Power 5 programs to never win or tie for a division title since 2000, the others being Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Indiana. Absent a miracle, it leaves us with another solid but unexceptional 7-9 win under Dave Doran. Yet this is another season with no division or conference title in a wide-open 2021 ACC that won't stay that way for long. I think the typical NC State fan is happy with 7-8 to eight win seasons and putting a few guys in the league so long as we win our share against UNC and have the very occasional shot at a division title when the opportunity presents itself. What should NC State fans think about this? Should we be happy to be an above-average Power 5 program, or should we be disappointed that we likely missed our chance to break through this year? Thanks again, and go Pack, Jonathan. Well, NC State boys. (laughs) I mean, look, I was very high on this team coming into this year. I think you can be both. You can be disappointed that you didn't take advantage of this window because you didn't right? You, you, you should have beaten Miami. You, you should have probably beaten Mississippi State, and and you didn't. You, know, you have a lot of talent, especially on offense. You don't seem to score quite as many points as that talent suggests you probably should. Uh, also, those team names that you read off, Kentucky, Indiana, Vanderbilt, what's the common thread here? They all play in divisions where you have several programs who are you know, better than you, historically and, and currently. Uh, problem here is it's very easy to look at this year and say, damn, like Clemson was down, Florida State was down, and we lost this damn division to Wake? Really? Like that? Yeah, that does suck. I, I don't like to be the guy that's like, hey, you guys shouldn't have expectations, you know, of greatness once in a while. Is it, I think it's kind of crazy to think NC State should compete regularly for the division, but I'm sure it's a bummer for their fans that they have not actually – you know, gone and, and finished the thing at least one time. Do you guys know how many double-digit win years they've had? Like Zero, right? 50, one. You know the oh. quarterback was? Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. Rivers. Like, barring some generational-type quarterback that you get, that's probably the reality of where you are. Like, eight and nine wins every year. 
Maybe you catch magic and get 10, get an ACC championship. And I hate saying like, like, but barring a big, massive shift, like again, like you're talking about salary cap or some sort of cap on four and five stars, and then all of a sudden you get to things that aren't likely to happen. I'll say this. I think the perception of your program is better than it is at Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and those other teams, Indiana. Like I think yeah. that's good. And I think you're more consistent. Their down years, I think, are worse than your down years. So I don't know. Like, even if you tried to go out and swing for the fences of a head coach, like I think Dave Doran's doing a great job there. But I, I just I think what you are is kind of what you are. And I hate to even say that because you don't want people to just be complacent. I got a buddy of mine who went to NC State and he always texts me during games. And, you know, I just I just think it's kind of what you are. You know, maybe you get capture magic again and you get to 11. I just don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, if there is, if there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it's that maybe next time you do have that season where you get to 10 or 11 wins, you find yourself with an at-large berth. Oh, an expanded playoff totally mm-hmm. changes it. Don't, don't, sure. yeah. Like, don't, uh, don't take this program for which I think, yeah, seven to nine wins, but also that NFL, um, the NFL draft number speaks right to player development speaks to the program that you've got and the way that it is changing the way that players have from a, a physical standpoint and also from a skill standpoint. You are teaching the game. You are developing players into pros. Don't bail on that when being able to be the second best team in the ACC Atlantic might be good enough to make it into to the new college football playoff. I also totally understand the hurt because that game against Wake – like. The Instant Reaction podcast is very tough on us when it comes to all of the 7 and 8 o'clock games. It's just mm-hmm. it's really tough to be watching all of it and also process information as we sit here and the lights go on. I got all of the first half. I didn't get much of the second half. I reviewed that game, and it was the old – I mean, you. it was the old drill or the old um, – like basketball for me, I think of it as a basketball drill. I'm sure it's a football drill too, but you've all got numbers on each side and the ball's in the middle and we call threes and the threes from each side are just going to sprint to the ball and try to see who can get possession. And the division was right there. Like NC state and wake forest were standing on opposite lines. They called the number and they both were scrapping for it. And Wake came out on top. And if you're an NC State fan, having already come up with all of these answers, we lose our All-American linebacker. We learned the team. We lose the team captain who stepped in after him. We had the loss that we thought derailed our season. Then we didn't derail our season. Like you have had an emotional journey, and then to feel like you just got outscrapped, and to be very, very um, basic by Wake. I mean, you just think about like an NC State fan, right? You're like, wait, we got outscrapped and outfought. By wake, I understand why that's incre- why there's so much hurt right now. But in terms of your expectations, I, I think that Tom brings up a great point. Being what you are might be good enough for the national kind of recognition that you'd be looking for that could come with that division title or that national championship. So one of the reasons why they, we want to expand the playoff is to keep those 30 to 35 programs interested all the way until the end of the season. One more ACC corner question. All right. Let's see. Here we go. This is from Guam Hokey. Hokey in Guam. 
Okay. Thanks for listening. Big Virginia Tech fan base there. Um, The cover three gang are both entertaining and insightful. As an ACC fan, what is the overall problem with the conference in terms of perception and actual competitiveness from top to bottom? For the last decade, either Florida State or Clemson has dominated and won national championships. However, the perception of the conference as a whole is negative. What needs to be done? How can those schools recruit better? Is the national perception shaped by the relatively low attendance at many of the schools? Well, I mean, there's a couple issues, right? The TV contract is uh, a, a real, real problem uh, for them, and it's only going to continue to become a, a greater problem. So, that a lot of these schools don't have the same amount of athletic funds that you know they're that the SEC does. And I bring up the SEC because that is the conference that has an overlapping geographic footprint with the ACC. Uh, you know, when they're right, FSU and Clemson recruit on a similar level to the best SEC schools, with the exception of generally Bama. Uh, although Georgia is now kind of pushing into that territory. However, like your second tier and third tier schools are not competitive on the recruiting trail with the second tier SEC schools. Like Virginia Tech does not compete with Auburn on the recruiting trail, nor does NC State. So you have a, a smaller group of schools at the top who can really carry uh, the water for the <laughs> conference, right? So you kind of need at least two of Clemson, FSU, and Miami to be good. Miami has never fulfilled that bargain since entering the league. FSU is more recently down for like four years in a row. Clemson has one off year and then the league gets basically, you know, disregarded. But the the bottom tier of teams do not have the same amount of athletic of recruited talent and athleticism as their nearest conference uh, that, that they compete against for eyeballs and for fan interest. It's it's a talent issue and a money issue. Like they're just not gonna be respected uh for an overall conference quality standpoint, nor should they be. Uh, so they have to rely on a team being super elite at the top to kind of mask their issues, which is what they've done for most of the last decade or so, uh, except this year, Clemson's down and FSU's not up. I think the ACC and the Pac-12 are very similar. Um, with And now we're kind of finding out because Pac-12 hasn't had that, that USC, that Oregon, maybe this year it is, um, but ACC's had Clemson. I know a lot of people have said, oh, well, if the ACC didn't have Clemson, look how bad it would be. And now here we are. I do think this is a perception problem that has been the result of sort of a you know, 20-year process of, I don't want to say poor leadership, but a leadership that doesn't take it as personally as what you've seen with Mike's Live and Greg Sankey in the SEC. This is a, a conference which prides itself and really maybe it started with the sec championship game but they prided itself on saying we're the best and they kind of made it their thing like when i was coming into college when i played in college football no one cared about your conference i don't not even the sec i don't think it was and we've kind of talked about this a little bit how they made a conscious decision to let's stop airing out our dirty laundry let's stop telling on each other let's handle it in-house and that was kind of the beginning of this and then it becomes and you get everybody on the same page with one narrative, which has been, we're the best. We're head and shoulders above the best. You hear any coach who takes a job in the SEC, it's like he gets this pamphlet of information. These are your talking points. This is the toughest league to win in. This is the you know the toughest start-to-finish schedule that you have. And you know most NFL talent, they get their talking points, and they stick to them. They hammer it in. Uh, Bud makes a great point about the TV contract. Not only is it not a great contract, but it's embarrassing when you have – a top 25 matchup, which we had last week with Wake and NC State, and it's on the ACC network. 
Like if that happened at the SEC without it being a plan, let's try to get eyeballs on the SEC network, which maybe they did early season. But this is November. This is time when the playoffs are coming and you need eyeballs on you. I guarantee you, Greg Sankey or previously Mike Slab would have been on the phone saying, are you kidding me? You're going to have two of our top 25 teams buried on our conference channel. This needs to be in prime time on the biggest stage out there. Um, the fact that the ACC Network's headquarters are in Bristol because the SEC didn't want competition in Charlotte, which is right in the footprint of the ACC. And the ACC said, okay, sure, we're okay with that. Like, no, they should not have been okay with that. Like, there's a laundry list of little things that creep in. And to me, it just tells, tells me that there's a lot of people that are just kind of happy collecting checks. We're okay as long as we have Clemson. You know, as long as we have one team in the conversation, like, it's okay. But that, to me, is why you are here. Because the talent issue, it wasn't that, like, probably five or six years ago. Now, this was when Florida State was rolling and Clemson was kind of coming up, but Louisville also had NFL talent. Those numbers that the SEC loved to reference – of we have the most players drafted every single year, the ACC was not that far behind. I'm talking like five players. It was five players a year. But yet they had that, and they promoted it, and they owned that. We have the most NFL talent in the league. And I used to get frustrated. and be like, oh, because you have five more sixth-round, seventh-round picks, it makes you that much better. But they stuck to it. They promote it. They use it in recruiting. And then they've been able to separate more and more and more. There's just a there's a laundry list of issues why the ACC is where they are now. And similar to the Pac-12, God, I don't do the fans care that much? Like the Wake fans get that fired up? Does it, and it's great to hear from NC State fans. Um, you know, Pitt fans are kind of new. Syracuse fans, does it? Do they get fired up when people criticize the ACC, or are they like, eh? Well, there's no conference. There's not that tribalism. Yeah. Yeah, And and they, and they say like, I would never root for someone else in the ACC. I would, I don't have any desire to see these other teams go out and win, even when they're not playing us. And I'm not going to beat my chest and do the conference chant and hope that they win. I hope that they all lose. I hope you all lose. And I hope you all have a horrible time. And you know, we're getting that this year. Congrats. But like, to your point, Danny, the, ACC's ceiling, I think, is higher than the Pac-12s because the ACC ceiling to me is the 2016-17 season. Clemson wins the national championship. Lamar Jackson wins the Heisman Trophy, and the conference as a whole goes nine and three in its bowl games, sending double-digit teams to the postseason and also winning. That next football kickoff and that next football season, you could see that maybe there was a chance for the perception to really push through. And then two years later, Clemson wins again, does it to Alabama like in a big way, but it is fleeting because the SEC won national championships year after year after year after year. So I think the ACC ceiling is higher than the Pac-12s, but it's got a numbers issue. Uh, You mentioned the TV contract, and I think that these other things are tied to it. It's an alumni issue. It's an enrollment issue. It's a stadium issue because let's bring the Big Ten into this. The Big Ten is valuable because we see 80, 90, 100,000 seat stadiums filled. We've got like some 40K, 50K, 30K stadiums in the ACC that aren't filled. And so in terms of the investment, in terms of the product as you're trying to sell, I do think that across the board, while there are 14 and a half teams in the conference, the numbers of potential customers in terms of the alumni and the fans is just so much less. So one, one more thing, thing I, wanna... quickly, uh, I got yeah, it. Bolt. I just want to get one more thing in. 
The other thing the SEC has going for it, they do not like getting criticism from talking heads. And I've seen this and talked to other analysts firsthand. You come down a little bit too hard on a team, on a coach, hot seat. Hey, this team isn't you, – you make some certain statements, you're going to get a phone call. Like you may not have a job for that long. And that's the type of weight they've held the yeah. entirety – I would absolutely have the SEC network, and I kind of went to ESPN on the cusp of that. So, but I'm sure it came before that. Hey, that guy went a little bit too hard on us. And like, example, I go out on on ESPN or ABC primetime and say, "Man, the ACC is garbage. Not a peep." Like they go, just have a lot of weight that they throw around because they can. Danny, go back and watch halftime of Florida Sanford. What did they talk about? Not like, "Hey, Dan Mullen just had to fire coordinators because could he be on a hot seat." They talked about the toughness of Emory Jones's running during that halftime on the SC network. Yep. yep. If you guys have it DVR, go back at home and find it. it it's it's a very like yeah. there's a, a, a messaging that sure. comes. Let's keep it positive. Let's keep it positive. Let's keep it positive. And let's portray the conference the best way we can. The trend that set this off, by the way, was Nick at LSU in the early 2000s because the SEC always had more money than the ACC in many cases due to alumni and donors and stuff, not necessarily TV contracts, you know, for a super long time, but Nick showed them other ways to spend the money. And I don't mean cheating ways, but like, Hey, I, I can, you know, put this amount of money into strength conditioning. I can put this amount of money into support staff and bringing on higher price coaches and more of them and just more people. And like, he's a resource maximizer, right? And other schools, I think saw that model, and said, hey, we do have all this money that we don't really need to spend or haven't been spending. We can go ahead and spend it, and we can raise more of it. They, they kind of have a gear they can shift into that a lot of the ACC programs either don't or or won't in some cases. I think some of those you know, programs do have you know huge athletic endowments that they probably don't want to tap into quite that much because maybe they don't want to be that level of competitive, if you know what I mean. Sorry, Tom, did you get cut off? No, I was just going to ask. I mean – Going back to the points Danny was talking about, like it's probably too soon to really have a definitive answer, but have you noticed, the three of you, noticed any changes now that Jim Phillips is in charge, or at least things going in a different direction? He, there's not much you can do about the TV deal that's all the way out to 2036. So other than... But I mean, as far as the, uh, the ant, not antipathy, but just the overall lack of like football, 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 have we seen like a mindset change with yes. a guy coming from the Big Ten? He's He has been very on the fr- on like the forefront, and so has the new Pac-12 commissioner, uh, George Klyovkov. They have both said, like, fo- we understand, you know, what needs to happen in this conference and where the success needs to be for it, us to be healthy financially. They've addressed you know why it doesn't change? Why? Like, and I feel bad if I – because I don't – what is the blue – like, this would take a decade or more – and maybe it's just an impossibility to try to garner the passion and the generational love that is religion in the SEC. I don't, you can't replicate that. You can try. I don't, I would be doing everything I could to try to promote football and to promote fandom and to promote tailgating and to promote atmosphere of the game day. I don't know how you do it. I I mean, I, I think you come up with some great plans and I would try to be doing everything I could to do that. But you can't. I don't, you just can't replicate it. And that's the one thing. Like I give the SEC a hard time, but you like you go to a game in the SEC, it's different. And go. And I'm not talking about, you know, if you go to Ohio State, you go to Michigan, or you go to Clemson or Florida State, like the top tier teams at programs around the country. Go to Kentucky, Mississippi State when they're both fighting for a bowl game. 
it's it's passionate atmosphere crowded they're gonna cheer and you know go to a wake forest nc state game that doesn't have a lot in the line and it's half full and it's yeah, you know, like nobody cares. Let me stand up for Wake State. They, <laughs> they, they have some hate for the uh, the big golden pig cooker. That there you go. All right, so maybe they do. No, like, but to your point, also one last thing because I know Danny, you've got to run. We should probably wrap this up. But ACC is a transient conference. We don't have a generation of fans who of NC State fans who hate Syracuse. We don't have a generation of Pitt fans who have it like the hatred for UNC. Pat Narduzzi might hate UNC, but you know, Pitt fans as a whole. So it's. It will only take time and continuing to try to hit that ceiling as often as possible to be able to really build in that passion that the SEC is able to capitalize on. Well, Chip, do you and it's all, not drivable. Yeah. Chip, do you worry at all about an Illinois grad taking over the ACC and sabotaging North Carolina from the inside? <laughs> Illinois grad. is Would that be Jim Phillips? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's... Man. Ever since he left Northwestern, like <laughs> I kind of think he might have the golden touch. <laughs> uh, you can follow. Hey, we will be back 11 a.m. Um, cover three locks live for week 12. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you for thank you very much. Condolences to Barton Simmons and the entire Simmons family for the loss of your matriarch. Yeah, hundred percent. Fair love, buddy.